0: to bring you this important
1: message. Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play?
0: You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs>
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of my bloody podcast where we talk about all things horror related, films, music, TV, news, all sorts of fun things. I'm Brian Kluger and I'm joined by the person, the man, the myth, the legend who I want to take with me in my dreams and uh, fight. The forces of darkness with Preston Barta? What's up?
0: I'm your boyfriend now, Brian.
1: Oh hell yes you are. <laughs> I like that. Are we boyfriends?
0: Yeah, can you feel the tongue on the other end of the line?
1: I, I sure do. I, I, I it's it's a it's a hairy tongue too. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I don't mind it. <laughs> good. Okay. Good, good, good. Don't shave it. Don't shave it. Hey, you doing all right, buddy?
0: i'm doing I'm doing pretty well yeah uh, I've had quite a bit of time to uh catch up on some things, which has been nice good, good. i moved mean, film wise
1: yeah for sure it's uh getting to a crazy packed end of year movie screening for for us pros over here. Uh, constant stuff coming in, lots of things to see, but, of course, we always go back to our roots of horror because we just love it on My Bloody Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, uh, iHeart Radio, and Spotify. Look us up. Uh, We have a doozy of a show this week, of course, one of the best horror films of all time. It's the 35th anniversary of this movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street by Wes Craven from 1984. Uh, Very excited about this. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that a little later. Um, We'll also have the bloody recommendations, the bloody questions, and uh, the bloody bits of news. But first, let's talk about last week's show. We had a good time. We had our friend David Lowry on the show. We talked Dr. Sleep, right?
0: Yeah, that was a good time. I I always enjoy having him. He's just, he's a very smart dude. And, uh, I mean, as it was established when we talked to him that first time for The Haunting of Hill House, just him coming into the horror genre from reading books, you can tell that he has, like, this deep analytical approach to film horror watching, which is, uh, pretty, pretty great to pick at that brain.
1: It is, it is. And for, like, behind the scenes kind of thing, which was, uh, uh funny to me behind the scenes of the podcast for sure so like, when we have, like, a guest out, I kind of like to, like, put stuff out for people to eat and drink. <laughs> yeah. So, I had, like, whiskey on the table and glasses and had, like, a bunch of Halloween candy and stuff like that. And, oh, man, uh, our, our good friend David Lowry uh, does not drink and is vegan. So, my... Uh, two strikes. Yeah, two strikes. <laughs> it was really funny. Uh, but, you know... <laughs>
0: I ate some candy. I didn't partake in the whiskey, but it was a pretty bottle.
1: Yes, you no, know, I was a. Uh, uh, next time I'll know for sure. I'll know for sure to have all the, the vegan in the water or juice out.
0: Yeah, our sponsor this week's going to be pissed.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Auschintaschen <laughs> Whiskey. A fine, fine whiskey brought to you from my bloody podcast. Uh, But yes, uh, let's get into bloody bits of news uh, on this show. First, uh, since we just were mentioning Dr. Sleep, uh, in my mind, I thought Dr. Sleep was going to be fantastic. It was going to be seen by everybody, going to do super well. But unfortunately, it's been making the news rounds that Dr. Sleep is not doing so well financially at the box office, and I don't know why.
0: It's going to lose some money.
1: It is it's weird. I, it, it's and we talked about it last week. It was a stupid fucking time to release that movie. They should have released it yeah. right before Halloween or in February, where nothing else comes out. It's just it's so weird that they waited a week after Halloween to release this. I don't get the. I don't know. I don't understand why.
0: It was like probably some like logic ahead of time. No, and then it's WB, and they put out It Chapter 2, and they wanted to space it out a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it still was a pretty dumb decision to do that. Uh, I mean, I was still baffled at the fact that even though it came out in early November, that it, like, I just thought more people would show up just based on the curiosity of the Kubrick-King marriage coming out, unfolding on screen. And uh, so I was pretty baffled by that, that not a a lot of people went out there to go see it. But, I mean, this is like one of those instances that are just kind of illustrating the ongoing battle between streaming releases and big screen releases. And then I'm sure Martin Scorsese was like, see, told you, Uh, ain't no theme park ride. (laughs) Um, So... uh, yeah, it, it it's it's upsetting, but cuz I I really do think it's a really cool movie and I hope that people will find it.
1: Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, if it doesn't I mean, it's definitely not going to last in theaters, but it might last on home video or something like that, but it's definitely worth checking out and uh yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. It's, it's actually really good. Uh it, yeah, I I I'm baffled by uh how little it did. And I think it's just people were like, okay, we're done with Halloween it's time. to get into holidays. I'm not going to go see another Halloween scary movie. So I think it's poor timing and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I feel like this would have, and also if you go back and watch the trailers, the trailers aren't wonderful for it. I feel like if they just kind of did something similar to the original shining trailer with just the blood in the elevators, maybe a tacked on scene to that. I think it would have been no better marketing, but yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, there's something else that occurred. Oh yeah. With nightmare on Elm street came out November 9th in 1984, but yet it did well, but I guess there wasn't as much content out there at the time.
1: Correct. Yeah. So November 9th, my birthday, by the way, uh, and a Nightmare on Elm Street came out on November 9th. so I was born for this movie, kind of. Nice. <laughs> Just a few years prior, so maybe Wes Craven got the idea from when I was born to make this movie. That's what I'd like Pro- to think. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah. So talking about that, moving on to a couple of new horror movie themed trailers coming out. There's a new uh, TV sh- or not a new, t- uh, yeah, a new TV show called Servant. Um, which will be on Apple Plus. It is uh, done by M Night Shyamalan, and the trailer is pretty good for it. Pretty good yeah. with it. Um, I it does give some things away, but it doesn't seem to give like the exact like whole. Story away, like you they there there's like dialogue in this trailer that makes you think, okay, something else is going on here, and it looks like um a family hires a nanny for this baby. Uh, that like this newborn baby and like midway through the trailer you find out that the baby is actually a doll and people have not gotten over (laughs) the death of their caught child I guess but there's like something other something other uh, that's sinister that's happening in the trailer what do you think
0: yeah I think see I think that reveal is really masterfully done in the trailer because i'm watching it and the Mm -hmm. thumbnail itself that you can see for like the youtube or wherever you watch it most of them are of the baby itself which you look at it and you're like there's something off about this child it just doesn't quite look right it's got like some big eyes something just seems really weird and then you're watching it and you know a lot of babies when they're that young they're they don't move a whole hell of a lot. Um, and so you're, you're just under the belief that uh, this is a real baby until uh, what's his name from Kong Skull Island and Rock and Rolla grabs the baby out of the crib by, the, by its feet and like slightly bumps its head on the edge of the crib that you're like, oh, shit.
1: Have you, you ever then, picked up row like that? Hell No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It'd be horrible. I get so nervous about picking him up in certain ways, like dislocating his shoulder and things like that. No, I, I was very much so that father that was, oh, man, it's just like I'm holding a a puzzle here that could just, or a Jenga Django, Django set that could just crash at any moment. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it's disturbing that reveal of it being a fake baby. And then going into that and then you're like, oh, man. So this is like it's weird and also has like this like crazy emotional layer to it as well um, as, you know, postpartum, uh, not really postpartum here, but just like not having that child, that absent child. Um, so that that's just scary on another level to me, like a very true, uh, honest uh, scariness to it, I, I suppose. But uh, but yeah, so the rest of the imagery, you know, like horror movies tend to do with – it's the formula with a, a horror movie trailer is that by the end of it, it's just like a series of frightening images and some of them you may – like for instance, the Invisible Man trailer, which I feel like reveals too much, but according to the director on Twitter, it doesn't. And you can just see like who dies and things like that. <laughs> and so it's just it's upsetting that you, you see that type of stuff because I tend to latch on to those. The hope is that you just see it and you'll instantly forget it and just concentrate on the overall theme of it being, uh, you know, this going to convey this certain emotion or this certain response. And that's what's going to get you to put your butt in the seat but I tend to watch these and and then I, I think about it. I'm like, oh, well, I'm gonna know that that person probably is not a good guy, or like the Black Christmas trailer, and then um, and then I'm just gonna watch the, mo- the movie or the show and be like, well, I'm just in- waiting for that that to happen.
1: Yeah, it's um, I. I it, I'm gonna watch it. It's M Night Shyamalan. I, I look good, look forward to it. Uh, Rupert Grint out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, Harry Flight Potter's best back. friend is back in the limelight in a kind of a huge show. So, um, luckily I got the new iPhone, and uh, since I got the new iPhone, I get a year free of Apple Plus. So I'm gonna check it out for sure. Is this cool. streaming
0: yet? Uh, it comes out November twenty eighth.
1: Okay, so the end of the month. Servant. Check it out on Apple Plus. I'm curious. I don't to know see how they're which...
0: gonna stretch that out to a whole series. I wonder how many episodes there are because like that's enough content for it just to be
1: like a two-hour movie. A, a movie. Yeah, a movie. Yeah, so, so... I'm curious. Yeah, so yeah, we'll be updating you for sure on that. I mean I'll definitely be watching it. Um the other trailer we are gonna talk about is Fantasy Island. Um Basically, isn't it like a remake of the old TV show? boss the plane, the plane, the plane, uh, and this looks like a definitely a much uh, more horrific version of the TV show, um, for sure. Where a it's, it's
0: like a it's a more hardcore version of. Scooby Doo, like the Scooby Doo movie that came out when they go to an island.
1: Yeah, yes, yes, just like that, and maybe like a little bit like hostile. It looks like I don't know. Yeah,
0: uh, saw there's some schemes going on there. Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't get it. So basically, there's like this this island with this beautiful hotel on it, and a bunch of people come to stay there for the weekend, but they all have. Uh, like, they all want something. They all have to live out their fantasy. And as they explain in the trailer, like, oh, my fantasy is to see somebody dead. And uh, the character's like, oh, like, Tupac and holograms? Perfect. And then it just goes from there, like, oh... This bully who bullied me all through school is here and being tortured. I can torture them. And it just it just goes from there and it looks like there's maybe a supernatural element to it or something else. And maybe it's going to end up like April Fool's Day where all this horrific shit happens but it's all a ploy and like stage and theatrics. I don't know. But the trailer does have me hooked to see it uh, even though it looks like I'm going to be seeing the same thing that I've seen in thousands of other movies.
0: Sure, Yeah. But I'm willing to take the, that that gamble because I, I it, it seems like a movie that's going to do pretty well box office wise when it comes out next year on Valentine's Day. Um, but yeah, it looks it looks it looks pretty good to me. But yeah, I have that same sort of anticipation with the big reveal being some sort of. Uh, elaborate scheme and there may be some like Mysterio theatrics going on. Um, but, uh, it, it still could be cool. I, I think maybe the journey leading up to it be, would be, uh, interesting enough because uh, just the idea alone of some of these people having fantasies about killing other people you're like tapping into the dark sides of, of the human mind. And I, I that's very frightening and just, uh, just the thought of would you follow through because you know you see some shots of like one woman who has a fantasy of killing her bully or whoever and then sees that person like strapped up to a chair about to die and then she's like no no no, i I never wanted this um so it's just uh yeah a dark exploration of the human mind so that's interesting to me
1: yeah, I, uh, color me curious uh, for Fantasy Island and The Servant. I'm looking more towards the Servant um, than Fantasy Island for sure.
0: Yeah, it's it's more it's tamer. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it might be like the better better of the two.
1: There you go. Uh, let's let's move on to a little bit. Oh, we talked about this earlier uh, in past weeks, previous weeks, and it's becoming the holiday season. Blumhouse, of course, is remaking Black Christmas, and now it will be rated PG-13, thus etching in stone that this remake, Black Christmas, will be the worst movie ever made. The trailers look terrible. The cast looks terrible. It all looks horrible. Uh, PG-13 horror movie, Black Christmas. I'm out. I won't be seeing it. Uh, (laughs) Count me the fuck out. Preston.
0: You know, we've talked about this quite a few times already, and it's really getting harder to defend this movie. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's... I'm still going to go see it, just out of curiosity, knowing that it's probably just going to dash my hopes of a good remake of this. So I'm not going to reiterate everything that I've said in the past, but... uh, yeah, the, the trailer just showed me way too much and I just don't know really what to look forward to with this movie anymore. Um especially now that it's PG thirteen and um Yeah. Yeah. There it's it's just a hard it's hard to support this now.
1: No, yeah, it is. Blumhouse, you're fucking up. I don't know why with this movie. I don't get it. It just seems like every decision you've made with this film has been the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm wrong. Usually not, but uh yeah, uh, usually not. Usually you, you, not.
0: You think of that. You <laughs> think so highly of yourself. <laughs> uh
1: but yeah, I don't it's ridiculous. So uh so yeah, PG-13 Black Christmas not going to be good. <laughs> uh let's move on to I don't know how uh, I'm Okay, so we know Ghostbusters is coming out. They're doing another Ghostbusters movie. Uh, Allegedly, it's going to be a sequel to the second one, Uh, Ghostbusters 2020. Bill Murray has signed on to come back, I guess, with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson. They will be reprising their roles along with the one and only um, Dana Barrett, Sigourney Weaver. Let's hope they get Rick Moranis back in the game because that will give me the hard sell as an all-in yes if they bring back Rick Moranis. But uh, does this give any weight? Like, do you care about this movie? Do we care about this movie? Um, I, I think
0: uh, I'm more excited about it than I was 2016 Ghostbusters uh-huh. um, just because of the talent involved. But uh, I I got a little worried when they started... An, Uh, in more details about the story Which has like this stranger things kids on bikes kind of feel And that it would be centering more on some kids Um, But uh, the fact that they got the the living cast members back And I don't know how big of a role that they'll play The only thing I know is just that it it was just recently uh, Learned from Dan Aykroyd Um, who was on the Greg Hill show and said that Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's son, uh, made this uh, beautiful, quote, beautiful script. And it has uh, the feel of the first two movies. And it would be a a nice kind of Force Awakens type of thing where it's passing the torch off to a a new generation, um, which is like a a very diplomatic way to, to put it. Um, but you know, it uh, has Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver and Annie Potts and uh, among, um, Ernie Hudson and Danny, a- Dan Aykroyd. Um, but, uh, I mean, it still could be exciting. Uh, I'll just kind of hit the pause button until I see a trailer and all that's out is that teaser of them showing the car and in, inside of a garage and that's it. But, um, we'll see. It, it could be just... That these uh, former cast members are just in it for, you know, like five minutes.
1: Let's Maybe hope like not.
0: A, yeah, I hope they have a bigger part to play uh, in a Han Solo kind of fashion.
1: Yeah, because like if they're saying Force Awakens type thing, I mean they'll play a pretty hefty role in it. Like I could see like there's like another group of people that want to like do the paranormal investigations and ghost hunt. And they kind of come across, uh, like, a run down uh, the firehouse. And may, may, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not. Or maybe they're just getting old and they're trying to the kid. Them. The
0: kids just find the car inside a garage and they're like, what's this? And then uh, the guys are like, oh, man, we haven't been doing this in a long time since we lost uh, Harold Ramus' character. and Or maybe they, they have Harold Ramis' ghost, like, locked up somewhere. That would be pretty cool. Uh
1: yeah, let's uh piss off a lot of people. Do, do we know does this have a release date or is it just 2020?
0: Um July 10th, 2020.
1: Okay, so I would imagine we was, we should be getting a teaser trailer at least in December or January, yeah. Yeah, early year for sure. So, all right. So, Bill Murray, yes, everybody, everybody's coming back for it. Let's hope Rick Moranis is in the trailer. Oh my god, please bring him back. I would love it. Uh, let's move on the to like really big news streaming wise. The uh, long awaited Disney Plus uh, app is available now. It was available November twelfth. Uh, bringing Star Wars, Pixar, Marvel, National Geographic, and all, not all, but a lot of Disney's back catalog of Mickey cartoons, Donald cartoons, past movies, TV shows, and films all into one place for the price of $6.99 if you just want to purchase the Disney app itself, Disney Plus. But in this, um, we've gotten, at at launch at least, you got a few new things. You got, of course, the new Star Wars Mandalorian uh, TV series which uh, I am so happy that they're not releasing every episode at once, they're doing it weekly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's new show The World According to Jeff Goldblum where it looks like he's just going to tackle a subject different subject each week the first one being sneakers uh, which was cool and of course you have Encore Uh, By Kristen Bell, which is a reality show Taking kids from high school Who are really popular or really good at theater Or singing, bringing them back 20 or 30 years later to relive their dream uh, On the stage And then you have the new High school musical TV series Amongst other things Uh, But I'm curious You know, Disney's been known To do a bit of the Horror genre, right?
0: Yeah, a little bit Um you know in the past they've done i mean we could look at tim burton's *Frankenweenie*, um the haunted mansion so it's not really like hardcore horror or anything like that it's just like horror themes like hocus pocus um so yeah hocus pocus is on there on 4k uh, the nightmare before christmas all the halloween town films uh return to oz um, one of my favorites when i was a kid was a disney original that uh got uh, it didn't last very long on Disney because a lot of parents complained, uh, but that was a, Don't Look Under Your Bed, and it came out in 1999. Uh, it was deemed by parents too scary to uh, show, and so uh, it, it was short-lived. It didn't last too long on there, but now it's available for you to watch if you're curious on uh, Disney+. Plus. So there's that.
1: It, yeah, it's cool. And I'm, I must say, so I, when I was – I'm curious on what all these things are rated, or what they're if they're going to be any rated R stuff. Because when I was watching The Mandalorian, it was rated PG, and there's like 150 people that die in, in that yeah, first it should episode. Be PG 13. People yeah, get cut, cut in half. In yeah, it was. I mean, it was great, but it's like this is PG. Holy shit like
0: in a jaws kind of way like where it's just like that movie's pg and it just hasn't changed since then
1: <laughs> well you know uh, like because i don't think the pg-13 was out then because i think it wasn't the first PG- yeah it wasn't yeah so yeah i, I was cu- i was curious because i'm like okay so will disney put out rated r stuff i'm curious
0: um yeah right now they don't have any r-rated content on there i I looked um because you know they have all of fox's stuff but most of the fox stuff that i've seen is like avatar which avatar and
1: x-men but nothing like alien or anything like that yet
0: no no so uh i don't know if they're just let's keep it uh keep it neutral, keep it kid friendly for now in hopes that, you know, cause they did get like 10 million subscribers, uh, pretty quickly. Um, they didn't anticipate that that many people, which is stupid that they wouldn't anticipate that they would get that many people. Um, so apparently like a lot of people had, I didn't have any issues when I signed up for it cause I signed up for it on the 12th when it launched. And, uh, some people said that they were getting errors pop popping up and they couldn't get watch the content fast enough um but then i had one friend who said like all you had to do is just like x out of this one thing and then you you got into it no problem but uh so i I think they had since ironed out the bugs and now you can navigate it pretty easily but uh even though we're supposed to be concentrating more on like horror related material were you at all impressed with like the navigation of it and how it operates in comparison to other streaming services
1: yeah, so, you know, I signed up for it a while ago, and when it came available, like, at 11 p.m. the night before it was supposed to come out, I got on, and I was up to, like, four in the morning watching shit. and Damn. It, was, it Yeah, it worked perfectly. And the navigation is, you know, it's... Simple and easy to read. Uh, I'm. It's
0: early I, Netflix. Like, you don't have to outrun trailers.
1: <laughs> right. Stupid. Yes, yes. No, I, I like that aspect of it quite a bit. And, you know, each of the, um, I think each of the movies and stuff like that come with, like, the trailer to the movie and info about it. It's really easy to some have. Some of got
0: extras, which is nice.
1: Yes, yes. And, like, Hulu uh, and Amazon Prime usually have extras as well. Netflix is usually the only one that doesn't have that yet, which I was hoping that they would change at some point. But uh, uh, Yeah, it's
0: going to be interesting to see, like, how this launch affects other streaming services to see if netflix is going to be like oh well now we're going to drop the price back down and uh now 4k is the same price we're just going to include it all together because that's that that's why uh i had 4k uh for a little bit because i was when i first started uh reviewing netflix content they gave me a six month free subscription. I had had Netflix for a long time before then, but, uh, I made the upgrade when I got that. Um, but since then, just for budgetary reasons, I uh, decided to make the cut. Um, but I, it's awesome that you can watch the star Wars films, even though they're the original star Wars films are the special editions from like 2014 that are pretty bad. Um, but uh, it's still kind of cool that you can watch a lot of these films uh, in 4k.
1: Right, yeah, a lot of it is in 4k and it's it's nice to see. And I you know what and I've watched uh, I haven't watched any Pixar stuff yet, but I did watch uh, some National Geographic stuff and the new shows uh, for the most part. So yeah, I'm,
0: yeah because I've, I've only watched the Mandalorian. I watched The New Lady in the Tramp which is horrible please don't try to watch it and uh Noel which is another Disney original film so so far outside of The Mandalorian and I've only watched a little bit of that Jeff Goldblum show I haven't been too impressed with uh, their original content I hope it doesn't come a thing that like direct TV cinema you know with like A24 has like their partnership with them and they like dump some of their films on there and i hope that they'll have some more quality films in there because right now like noel is just a cheap imitation of elf starring anna kendrick and bill hader and so so far yeah not too impressed and even some of the short stuff that they've done like they have like this pixar uh short series where they show different things around the studio. And the first episode is them. You're watching for six minutes. The in the inside out board, like the emotional board where you can do like disgust and everything at the control panel. Uh, It shows uh, kids and people like approaching this board outside. And, and then they see like an improv kind of group uh, reacting to the way that they punch the control board and it's kind of cool for a second, but then it goes on for like six minutes. So I hope that they're, they're going to find different ways to push the boundaries. Cause right now I think they're playing it pretty safe.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's just like a way to get in there and there's good titles on there, both new and old. Uh, But I think I mean, like, again, it hasn't even been out a week yet and uh, only been out for a couple of days. And I, it's a solid start, I must say. So I would imagine with, disney's ownership of so many things including fox we're just going to be getting more and more uh things to it and then uh i just i think disney plus is the one where everybody's going to stay um i do believe apple tv plus the new warner brothers the new hbo uh all that's going to go away at some point there's
0: Probably because Disney owns like everything at this point,
1: right? And it's just not sustainable, you know. You can't, every company wants to have their own streaming service, and you just can't just go to one of the three or four big ones, you know. Yeah, you
0: can't compete with that catalog,
1: right? So, uh, there you go, Disney Plus is available now. Check it out. Um, I'm trying to remember, so you sign up for it, so I know. You know, being a wrestling fan, the WWE Network is $10 a month, but if, from the very start of their inception of the the network that you can download the app and watch, the entire catalog of most wrestling things, including pay-per-views for $10 a month, you get the first month and sometimes two months free. So that's a pretty big enticing thing to do if you're a startup streaming service instead of just charging you know starting on just like yeah the first month free try it out you know and it's something like disney plus i think people like yeah i'm gonna keep this
0: yeah because right now the only thing that they're offering is a seven day free trial
1: yeah so seven days so like i think a month is the best thing to do but you know that's just me uh and if you did it month free you'd get like four free episodes of the Mandalorian and everything else you're like oh no I'm gonna pay for at least the next month to see the entire series come out and you know there you go there you go um but that that brings us a little bit of close uh to the news uh we're gonna move on to the vinyl corner the all about soundtracks and records and stuff like this uh Preston uh we've got a pretty cool soundtrack to talk about today right
0: yeah, conveniently, it is a Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: The original. The the so. original, yeah. So, <laughs> I, being, you know, record collectors and stuff like that, uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street album, the soundtrack... Uh, music composed by Charles Bernstein came out when the film came out and it was released by Verez Saraband uh, back in the day. Uh, and I am aware that Mondo from, you know, Mondo that makes all the soundtracks and posters and everything else, uh, movie related usually, has released... Uh, or re-re-released re re Nightmare on Elm Street uh, on vinyl because I know they did a big box set of all the movies a year or two ago but it looks like they're uh, re-releasing some of the individual ones. So I'm curious on how the Mondo record compares to uh, the original one. Well,
0: I've never owned the original one. You did send me pictures of your original art which I'm jealous that you have that um, just because I'm a... I'm I'm a sucker for aesthetic, as I've mentioned quite a few times, especially when I mention uh, Mondo releases. Um, so that holds up pretty well. I think it's a it's a really snazzy looking uh, album. The new Mondo release. Uh, the artwork comes from uh, oh my, what's his name? Uh, Mike
1: Wazowski. Yeah, Mike Wazowski. <laughs> Uh,
0: Mike,
1: I I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it
0: okay, up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I probably uh, uh, Mike Saputo. Mike uh, Saputo. Did okay. It. So yeah, he, he did my favorite, uh, nightmare on Elm street poster, uh, for Mondo. There's, there's this one of Freddie where he has his claw glove, uh, stretched out. And then his other hand about to, uh, and it looks like it's taking place in like the, the worm sand desert of, Beetlejuice, but just a, with a little more red and then it has the elm street 1428 house uh, and so he's putting his hand over it so that particular artwork did make the cut so it's uh, not the the featured image the featured image is uh, a giant eyeball like saruman uh, with the girls doing the nursery rhyme
1: Jumping rope. Of, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. The jump rope, which is still a very cool, uh, great aesthetic for the front art because the other one is like so landscape that it's too much to uh, cover. Um, but it's the inside flap. But and then on the back side, there is uh, Freddie with elongated hands in the alleyway uh, from the film. Um, the only disappointment that I have in terms of the overall design and packaging. Is that uh, I tend to, I really like text. I like uh, when they have like inserts that uh, have like the lyrics or some sort of message from the composer or somebody at Death Waltz or Mondo. I just really like uh, the way that they can turn a phrase and they can use like elements from the film or particular dialogue and work their way into uh, the, the text of the album. Uh, they unfortunately didn't do that here, but I think the album work uh, speaks volumes, uh, pun intended. Um, but uh, some of the text that is on there, I feel like it captures the overall, perfectly articulates the feeling of the album itself and how important the album is to uh, the horror uh, universe or horror genre in general. Because this uh, Charles Bernstein score like really impacted... Uh, The way that scores, horror scores were done going forward, I think you can see that all the way to like 2014's It Follows. Like the opening track alone has, of It Follows has this certain style that is very reflective of Nightmare on Elm Street. But uh, on the back of the the album, or actually the little uh, slip that comes on the side when you tear off the packaging. Uh, says that it's a mix of uh, creepy scents, off kilter nursery rhymes and heavy rhythmic percussion filtered with just enough distortion to offer up a release of dread. Um, And I feel like that's so perfect because when you're listening to the album itself, um, there's, there's like hints of Vangelis's blade runner mixed with like terminators that that drumming tempo uh, the way that I would describe uh, certain songs in that Terminator style is like imag- is like the sound of – I'm like twisting uh, senses here, but it sounds like ants are all over you and you just can't get them off. It just like conveys that, that particular feeling. Um, and it also feels uh, like when I have sleep, sleep paralysis, like a sleep paralysis episode. Uh, it's just like a nightmare that you can't escape in, in a fashion where it's like lulling you to sleep, but you just cannot escape it. So a lot of simple tones and beats, but there's a particular pattern to it that's so haunting and polarizing. It's, it's like a dying music box. But um, in comparison to some other horror scores like maybe John Carpenter's original Halloween, uh, which I would argue that at Nightmare on Elm Street uh, its score is just as essential to the film as Carpenter's score was to Halloween because I, I remember some things saying that, you know, when Halloween came out, um, the, the score wasn't as, wasn't there or it wasn't as uh, noticeable as it is in its final product that uh, John Carpenter, you know, in, j- amped it up a little bit and we got the score that we got. And so it was just so important as such an important ingredient of making that film scary. And I would say this is the same thing because it is absolutely reflective of the theme and the tone of the film, which is this kind of like nightmarish uh, fairy tale kind of feel to it. And I, I think that's very uh, it, it's captured very well in this score. Um, so yeah, interestingly enough, uh Bernstein who's uh still composing like he's still around uh mostly just does documentaries now however one of the last films he did was uh Brian's favorite movie, Sharktopus and Whale Wolf,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, but he, but he, but he also did Love at First Bite, Cujo, The yeah, Entity, yeah, Cujo
0: and The, the Entity, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, he's done some good stuff. But um, yeah, so I really love this score. Like it, it, it doesn't feel, um, not to bash John Carpenter's first uh, album for Halloween, where a lot of it sounds very similar. I feel like this one. Even though there be there will be songs where the the theme song or the theme track kind of is incorporated into a new song, it feels like more of an extension than just uh you know the same thing over and over again. Um, each track, uh, or at least a large majority of it, feels pretty different because um, there will be like fast paced stuff where it's just very like it's just like that description that I had about ants being all over you. And then there'll be other ones, you know, where it's just like very quiet and like pulls you in and you feel like you can't escape it. So, um, I think it's a pretty, uh, miraculous, uh, score. So I, w- I was glad that Mondo put it out because, uh, yeah, I love this score. I, unfortunately, it's too hard to find the original one. Um, so yeah, it came out in like 2017. So they're re-releasing it and it's like 30 bucks on Mondo teas.com. Um, so you can go there. And I'm, find I'm it curious.
1: And then, so the original one I have from Varese Saraband, mm-hmm. it has 17 tracks on it. Um, it has nine on side one and eight on side two. <laughs> did Mondo is that is that this is it the same or did they add any tracks or anything like that to it?
0: They did add tracks. Okay. So there on side A there is 11 tracks. Side B there's I guess it would go to 17, but there's bonus tracks. Okay. Um, and l- the longest one is like Nancy Glenn, and it's like two and a half minutes long. But most of them are just uh, about a minute or so. So just like particular tones throughout. Like even the last one's called Stingers, and it's just the songs that play during the Stingers.
1: Okay, so interesting. So on side two, I guess the longest track is the School Horror Stay Awake, and it's four minutes. And then the, you have the prologues, track one, side one, uh, the prologue, 30 seconds, and the main title is three and a half minutes. So I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. curious on uh, how uh, Mondo lays their tracks out and differs from the original one. And even if it sounds a little different, I don't know, because I, do not, I have not listened to the Mondo version yet. I've only listened to the original one. Yeah. So um, um, yeah, I haven't
0: listened to the original one, but from from my ears, it sounds pretty pretty great. So
1: okay. Well, well, good deal. I think we'll be doing a lot more of these soundtrack talks because I, I think like we both that's, get that's more... your area of
0: expertise for sure.
1: Yeah. No, I love it, uh, and you know, I get some mondo stuff, uh, and I'm always curious to compare contrast because I most likely have the original one. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I always like Plus I'm a, I'm a sucker for like original movie posters. Uh, usually not the Mondo stuff. I just, for some reason, like the original poster art. Uh, and so I like having that. And since records have become so popular again, it's becoming more difficult to find these old horror ones. And, uh, I I have all of the Nightmare on Elm Street's original ones and by far the first one was the most difficult to find for me so I'm so glad I finally Did found it. Did you have
0: to pay it. out the ass for it?
1: No uh, oh I mean the, the fine pay out the ass for it
0: um well this one is 30 bucks so so i paid
1: about double for that for the original okay well that's not too bad no but they go for way more than that i i kind of made a deal with somebody so uh, Mm. zjs yeah zjs yes i did all the zjs if you have to ask you can't afford Sorry, it. Sorry, Mondo, if you're listening.
0: We just put a nasty stamp on this.
1: <laughs> we like Mondo. We were always talking about Mondo. They should, uh, we love them. Um, but, yeah, awesome. Uh, if Yeah, go to Mondotees.com and get uh, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack for 30 bucks. And if you can afford it, they have a crazy, gigantic... Uh, nightmare on elm street set of every movie soundtrack uh i think it's about 250 bucks but it is super cool Uh, they're about
0: to do freddy versus jason
1: yeah so uh that was one of the movies i watched for halloween and i mean it is pure early early 2000 heavy metal type shit it's really funny uh, but it's just it,
0: like all the in-between stuff of 97.1 The Eagle
1: Yeah, no, it, re- it really is And it's just crazy uh, But I'm excited about that Because that's never been released on vinyl that I know of It'll be nice to finally have that uh, Hopefully they incorporate the actual songs As well as the score there Because I think the songs add to it So,
0: Yeah, but unfortunately the 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 ending song of the Nightmare on Elm Street Is not on this album
1: Oh, okay. What well, the orig- Which one is that?
0: The 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 song that's played during the credits.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: Where they have like the chorus and they say it like five times. Yes, 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 yes.
1: Still a good song, though. Still, still good. Um. All right, all right. Let's move on to our bloody question of the week. Uh, Preston came up with a good one. We. This is where we ask a horror-themed question. We answer it. We bring it to Reddit, the good people of Reddit. We ask there uh, for their replies. We'll read some of the best ones. Uh, this week, it was uh, Preston came up with it. Uh, what actor would you want to see have a nightmare on Elm Street, and how would they survive? So basically, you choose an actor or actress you want to see have a big bad Freddy Krueger nightmare. For example, Tom Hanks has a nightmare on Elm Street. What would he do to survive? Kind of like in that aspect, uh, Preston came up with that. Uh, he it was great, and I it's so funny. We've gotten some pretty funny comments so far. So Preston, oh man, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> man, I mean,
0: I want to. I want you to set the stage because you get it uh, really dirty.
1: you want me to so so I was you know I think it was coming off the Irishman but I want Joe Pesci's Nightmare on Elm Street (laughs) so badly Uh, that's my pick I really want a scene between Pesci and Freddy Krueger where the two work together to take out a rival mob through their sleep And where Pesci ends up turning on Freddy, and in the end, he absorbs Freddy's powers, and I really want that scene, kind of like in Casino, where Pesci is just yelling at Freddy, like, you motherfucker, you, don't ever cross me, and just to Freddy just like, huh, I just, I really want that so badly, like, how badly do you want that, Preston?
0: Uh, so badly,
1: <laughs> oh, so badly. So yeah, Joe Pesci's Nightmare on Elm Street is what I really want. Just, just for that scene, it'd be so you fucking mutt you. I just like <laughs> it'd be so good. Oh my god! uh,, oh, now, now I want this. Oh, Joe, please don't go back into retirement. And do a Freddy movie.
0: <laughs> oh man. Okay, so uh, that one's gonna be a hard one to top. Um, uh, maybe Kevin Spacey. Ooh, no. Um, <laughs> yes,
1: Kevin Spacey. It's 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 got the kids in there, you know. It's, it's the, it's oh, the, the god. oh
0: god. Oh god. Um, no, I would pick Gary Oldman just because I feel like he has, a, you know, a a big mass of characters like different characters he's played and he just seems like somebody who just does not seem to be affected by his characters like he just like tucks them away in little boxes like dr sleep um so i'd like to envision him in his nightmare being attacked by all his different characters
1: oh all right i like that that would uh that's pretty cool because they're, oh my God, to see an Emmanuel Zorg attack him.
0: <laughs> yeah, or Dracula or his character from um, uh, True Romance. Winston just Churchill. <laughs> it's yeah, just text. bumbling around.
1: <laughs> That'd be so funny. Winston Churchill. Churchill. just sits on him or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he? he just like, I He just like slams his hand on
0: a desk the entire time.
1: Yes, I like it. I like that. That's a good one. I like it. Should we go to Reddit? Yes. All right. I'll read a few. Uh, Dabba667 went with the original take in the, w- what I said in Reddit. Uh, Tom Hanks helps Freddie get his life together, and they become best friends at the end of the movie. Tom Hanks wins an Oscar for his performance. <laughs> 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 and, amazing. Yeah, and then so Tinny Chick uh, responded to that and said, I imagine Groundhog Day, but Tom Hanks turns the chainsaw for the ice sculpting on Freddy or maybe he'd use the explosives from Caddyshack so I don't know they went all all over there Uh, Hackenslash12 said I would love to see another sequel in the spirit of uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare where Freddy comes into the real world and starts killing celebrities and other famous people so there you go
0: it's like celebrity deathmatch
1: Yes, it is. Uh, Jay Bane said, Freddy stalks behind a man for a solid five minutes. He's about to make his kill. Man turns around. It's Tom Cruise. Freddy wants no beef with Scientology and runs away. In the film. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so good on so many levels, too. <laughs> no Xenu for Freddy. And then... It's, just like,
0: it's like all of them. It's like... uh. Danny Masterson and Tom or John Travolta. They're just like all popping up. Like, oh god.
1: Yeah, and the last one I'll read, uh it of course we'll post the Reddit uh thread to our post so you can read all of them. But um Annalise Plasco said, Remember when everybody suddenly loved Betty White? She should do a nightmare movie since she wouldn't have to run from Freddy or do anything to defend herself because he'd just fall in love with her too. Freddy and Betty. Their names even sound cute together. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: good. That's good. She, right? She'd be uh, hanging out on a dock with feeding her gators like Lake Placid.
1: Oh, yes, yeah, so i, I like this Freddie and Betty. You almost kind of like want them to take a picture together, uh like Freddie in full makeup, and just like just she, need
0: to make a bride of Freddie movie,
1: yeah, she could have her like witty sense of humor like she did in like Boston Legal or something, and just like tell him like he looks terrible and like, oh, that shirt's ripped, <laughs> oh, just be funny, <laughs> like what is he gonna do to her she can't he can't do anything to her,
0: oh man, I'm just picturing it now, like. Freddie is done having it with children. Now he's out for a bride, and then they play that song from like Midnight Express or whatever it's called. Everybody's talking about, you know, what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like just him just wandering the, the dreamscape in search of a bride.
1: Oh my goodness, he, he's he's getting hitched. I like it I like it So yeah Email us at MyBloodyPodcast At com If you want to chime in Or just go to Reddit And I'm sure Through the horror subreddit You can find our uh, thread What actor would you want To see have a nightmare On Elm Street And how would they survive uh, so yeah, uh, check it out. That was a good question this week, Preston. Um, super fun. Joe Pesci and Gary Oldman <laughs> style. <laughs> oh my, that'd be so much fun. Oh goodness. because when, when I was thinking of Joe Pesci, I was like, dude, do I go like Leo gets Lethal Weapon Joe Pesci? Or do I just go the straight gangster route? And I mean... Part of me wants Leo gets because it would just be funny to Tim talk to Freddie like they fuck you in the drive thing. <laughs> 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 just like a bumbling idiot. Oh, so good. Oh, now I want this. Oh, I'm excited. I want it. All right, let, let's move on to my bloody recommendations. You know, it'd be really
0: funny if we like find find out later on, like a couple years, and be like, "Man, where'd you get this idea for the movie?" And I'm like, ah, some money. My bloody podcast read it. Uh, inspired me to make this movie
1: and you're like thank you we have the good ideas we always have good ideas that would be so funny like on like an extra an interview like yeah where where did this come up like I was listening to this really weird podcast and <laughs> there's like these two guys talking about it and uh, I was like yeah that sounds good I'm like why did they call us we could have helped yeah So, uh, moving on to Bloody Recommendations, where we recommend a movie, TV show, and the horror genre. New or old, but we just want you to see it. We want you to watch it. We want you to enjoy it. We want you to love it. Rub it all over yourself. Uh, Recommendations this week. I have no idea what Preston's recommendation is. So, (laughs) Preston.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Brian, you know what it is. It is uh, 1981's Night School uh, not to be confused with the Kevin Hart film of the same name that came out like last year.
1: Is it a remake?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, this is – well, in, in kind of a way. Uh, I mean it's just a slasher film, so it resembles so many other slasher films. It just came out, you know, sprouted up when – friday the 13th came out and then you just have a bunch of copycat films out there and this is one of those but uh this one uh it starts off pretty standard but then it just takes this different route uh that's really fascinating um so let let me do my best to kind of capture this but um uh there's This movie is about, you know, some killer who's uh, dressed up as he's a biker. So he's wearing all black black helmet and uh, he uses this uh, uh, what I don't I don't know the name of the particular weapon, but it's like that kind of like round knife look Um, he uses it to, it's like for decapitating. So that's his whole thing. So he does the whole predator thing, uh, takes uh, skulls as trophies. Um, So he just kills people around this night school, uh, mostly students. um, Like some of them work at a diner at night. Uh, But there's really gruesome uh, death sequences. Uh, A lot of them are, like the first one that you see is a, Woman chilling out on a merry-go-round and then you, you hear the bike sound and you're like, oh, no, this is like bad news. And then slowly we get to the point where the killer is there. Then the woman's like uh, feeling scared, but just looking around and then he's there and then pushes her around on the merry-go-round and then cuts her head off. Um, but as the deaths go on, there's one in particular that is just so nasty uh, that it's, it's funny. And I can just imagine Brian, if you've never seen this, cracking up watching this sequence. Uh, and it involves the woman who works at the diner. And so you know that this woman's about to die. Like she's like closing up shop and uh, she has this big stew bucket. And then, so she gets killed. And then you know because they keep cutting the shots of the stew bucket that the head's going to end up there. And so following the next morning, like the owner of the store gets there and he's like, oh man, this place is a wreck. Oh, I got my two uh, regular customers outside. Uh, hang on just a second. Let me whip everything together. Then they're like, we want some soup. And then they're like, oh shit. Um, and then, uh, so they get their soup and then one of the customers starts eating it. And there's a hair in it. And he's like, oh, my God, why is there... And then so it cuts to the store owner in the back. and like, I'm going to go see what this is about. And so he's, like, fishing through the stew bucket. And then there's nothing in there. And then so there's, like, all these, like, psych-out moments of... You think that the head's going to be there. Like, uh, for instance, looks on top of this box is on top of a fridge. And it falls out and it's like a watermelon. And it's not, like, the head itself. And so just the... The series of events that happen um, are so funny. But then just the idea of these guys eating soup that was uh, had kind of like a was it mask of Zorro when that one villain guy is like drinking water that has like enemies, his enemies, heads and limbs in it. You remember that? Like, it's just disgusting in that fashion. Um, but the ending itself, which I'm not gonna reveal, but just imagine watching a horror film like a Nightmare in Elm Street and then it just has this particular tone all throughout. And but in the very last moment, it just takes a sharp turn into comedy. It's so crazy that it did this. like uh, my wife was watching it with me. Uh, because uh, Warner Archive just recently uh, put it out, or I think they've they've had it for a while, and I just wrote an article about Halloween titles, and so I watched it with her, and so we're just watching it and we're like, oh man, this is, I mean, it's like a fun standard slasher film with like elements that feel a little more beyond or have evolved further than just being a standard one but then the last moment itself i was laughing so hard because i was like what the fuck um so for that reason i hope i have urged you to want to check this one out so it's night school 1981 and it's just a fun slasher that has like some different parts to it that like it has like a backstory that's really fascinating to me um so because that's that's the fun of it trying to figure out who the killer is and then what their motive is and so just that whole all those reveals are so uh enjoyable so I, i have to say yeah this is a pretty solid one to go
1: with sweet night school night school night school uh warner archive is seems like they're releasing some fun titles
0: yeah i'm i'm like because I just picked five of them for last month to just promote the Halloween titles that they have or scary movie titles, and I liked all of them. So, I it's they're putting out good horror content,
1: yeah. Or I guess they... Warner
0: Archive ha- or, or Warner has like really good horror stuff from back in the day,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I it's it's pretty good, uh, super fun. Um, so my bloody recommendation this week uh, stars Robert England. A Star is Born. A Star is Born, yes. Uh, it is called 2001 Maniacs uh, from mm-hmm. the year 2005. Did you see this? Yes, I have. Do you not like it? I do not like it. <laughs> <laughs> But it has
0: been a long time, so and my tastes have grown. So we'll see. I mean, if you're recommending it, it must not be too bad, because you're always right, right?
1: Yeah, usually, usually, (laughs) usually. This, I mean, it's not like like (laughs) yes. I mean, it's not like an excellent, excellent film, like not like Ward. But it's it's super fun though. It was like like, Phantom. Like yes, yes, and it's like it was uh, directed by Tim Sullivan uh who's done uh, a, f- a few things here and there he he did a th- uh, episode of the or one of the shorts in chillerama uh or he was he was in that but he's also done uh, a few other things as well uh, just i like some of the stuff he's doing um and then it was produced by Boaz Yakin who uh has done a ton of things like remember the titans (laughs) and uh the rookie and uh just oh oh my goodness just quite a quite a few things and uh by scott spiegel and eli roth also produced it and it stars robert england and lynn shay uh which uh, has been in a bunch of horror films in the conjuring universe Uh, But it's about a group of students, like college students, uh, that are going for spring break to Florida, but they end up in Georgia of a town called Pleasant Valley, uh, which is holding its annual Guts and Glory Jubilee celebration in honor of the American Civil War. Uh, the mayor of the town is George Buckman, played by Robert England. Uh, and basically, as they're staying in this town, each one of these students are killed in like a spectacularly gory fashion. And it turns out that the town is actually a cemetery Uh, where uh all the people were massacred many years prior it's it's just really weird uh 2001 villagers were killed uh and then 2001 northerners must be uh killed in order of revenge so that's kind of like the gist of the story and that's why it's called 2001 maniacs and it's such a fun fun movie to me just because it's kind of like a cool setup and it's like definitely over the top for sure but like the kills are excellent and super fun if you're into the gore and uh, greatness and it's also cool always to see Robert England in something other than Freddy, just because Robert England was like a Shakespearean actor before he got Freddy, and it's kind of fun always to see him without the makeup on, but in here he's just kind of crazy. Uh, It's it's a fun movie. I definitely Mm -hmm. recommend checking it out. (laughs) just like for a good time. Like no, it's not going to be your favorite film, but it's it's a fun movie and you're like, "Oh, same guy who did uh Freddy. This is him and he's just having a great time." And they even uh made a sequel to this movie, so there you go. Huh. <laughs> <sighs> so crazy. So yeah, give it a shot 2001 Maniacs and of course Night School, not the Kevin Hart one. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on or you can
0: watch the kevin hart one because it's pretty horrific
1: yes there you go uh that movie was pretty terrible uh let's move on to our main event our main feature 35th anniversary oh my gourd nightmare on elm street i mean really it's where we've come to this in our podcast i mean it's just so good Came out again November 9th, 1984. Uh, that was three years prior to the day of my birthday. I was born in 1981, November 9th. Uh, directed by Wes Craven, produced by Robert Shea, who Robert Shea was like the big president of New Line Cinema for a long time. Starring John Saxon, uh, Heather Langenkapp, and a very young Johnny Depp along with of course Robert England. Uh this movie, let's talk let's talk about it. Let's talk about uh wh- when was the first time you watched this, Preston, and how did you hear about it? Uh and then did you immediately like it?
0: I, I can't recall the first time I watched it. I, I'd probably say it was you know what I've brought up a, quite a bit on this podcast, talking about going to Payless Video in Denton, Texas. And they had a horror section, and I would go through it. And I think that's the one that I started with. I remember uh, watching all of them and then uh, recording them off of you know hooking up two v- uh, VHS or VCRs. And, uh, so that's, I think that's where I watched it. I, the first time I can like remember it, um, is after seeing the movie life as a house, uh, with Hayden Christensen and Kevin Klein. Uh, there's a scene where they're shacking up in the garage together. Uh, Hayden Christensen is this drug. He, he's, he's, uh, really into drugs. He's addicted to drugs. And, um, <clears throat> and his dad is dying of cancer, and so they're just doing this uh, project together, building the house. And there's a scene where they're watching the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And I remember watching that kind of similar to last week, which we didn't bring it up. But the first time I watched uh, The Shining was after seeing the movie Twister and being like, what the hell is that? Um, so uh, I think that's – I. I don't want to say – because I can't remember when – that movie came out in 2001, so I would have been 11. So I definitely saw Nightmare on Elm Street before then, but that's the first time I can remember it. Um, But uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, You probably were, uh, I don't know, three years old and watched this?
1: Yes, three years old. I went to the theater with my popcorn by myself. (laughs) I was like, word. no!" Like uh, baby geniuses. Yes, like baby geniuses. That's what I thought I was seeing. No, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't see this – I want to say I was around like 10 years old. It was before my bar mitzvah for sure, which is when I was 13, but I definitely saw it way before then, and I was with a friend. I believe his name uh, was Ben, and we had rented it on VHS along with many other horror movies at the video store near the house, and I watched it and I just remember, I think I watched it like on my trundle bed on my like little ass TV, <laughs> And I was like, oh, man, this movie's awesome. I I remember kind of being frightened by it in certain, like, I think the GOAT Frightened me quite a bit I was like that's some scary shit Uh, And I think I just kind of fell in love With the whole Freddy thing And then I think by then A couple others had come out And I just started seeing them Uh, But that was the first time uh, I saw it And I think I immediately just like Really enjoyed Freddy And just like the whole aspect of Being asleep and him coming to you in your dreams And just all like the weird shit Like the You know the tongue through the telephone And just like stepping on the the staircases, like, because you all have that dream, you know, and I just think they did so well with it, and you know, having a young child's imagination, and vivid imagination, you just, it really resonates with you, and it did with me, and that's why I think I've always loved this series, and just seeing it back then was super fun, like, seeing all these as a young kid, and I, you know what, it's, just, it's interesting, like, don't you think you should see a lot of these as a young kid? Or do you think they would fare well better with the uh, as an adult?
0: I think. Uh, <clears throat> well, I just favor the relationship that I have with it when I watched it when I was a kid, probably nine or whatever, and then, um, just that thrill of oh, I'm watching a movie I shouldn't be watching, and but the, you don't really notice so much the themes, and but focus more on the the presence of the central villain and the the imagery and that's what you uh take with you to sleep and what scares you but what's cool is that relationship change as you go back and revisit the film and be like oh there's all these elements to it that i'd never noticed before so i i think it's cool just to have that that evolution Evolutionary growth with the film. So I would say it's, hey, uh, parents, uh, show this movie to your kids or just let them naturally find it on their own by bringing it up in conversations.
1: I agree. I agree. Uh, so a little bit about the plot if you actually don't know Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, so the opening scene has a. Uh, It the tone
0: for the entire franchise.
1: Yeah, it does. It's a young girl awakens from a nightmare where she is attacked by a scary-looking man in clothes and uh, finger knives, knives for fingers, and uh, it's pretty uh, scary. And then you see that, and then you wake... different scene and you meet uh, this young high school girl, Nancy Thompson. She has a boyfriend, she has friends at high school, and all of a sudden she's having these weird dreams about this same man that she doesn't know and it turns out her other friends are having the same dream. And then as close as as a, as a movie furthers it down the road, you see that they're all starting to have more vivid nightmares and they're each dying from these nightmares and this supposed boogeyman called Freddy Krueger. And then I will talk about later on who this Freddy Krueger man is and what happened to him, why... It's happening in their sleep, in the paranormal aspect of it, but that's kind of like the gist of the movie where these high school friends are being killed off one by one by this very scary, deformed, uh, burnt-up man with finger knives, uh, and it's that's kind of you know the whole thing of this first movie, and it's never been done before because I mean, it's prior to 1984, so you know. My thoughts on the plot, I mean, it's it's a hell of a storyline for sure, right? Like, don't you think, like, it's just...
0: Yeah, it has, like, the peppering of of uh, other, other horror films. Like, it has that sort of setup, you know, kids hanging out together and then um, their parents not believing what's going on. And then there's a killer man on the loose. So there's all that, but then there's just more going on. Uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, that makes it more of a compelling feature. But I, what also makes it cool is that it's it's a deconstruction, and this is what Wes Craven does very well. I mean, as we see in like the Scream franchise, is that he can he deconstructs the horror genre, and even this it not like Scream's pretty apparent. Like you can tell that it's doing that. I mean, it has the character in the movie that. Uh, is a horror fan and he's able to comment on certain things. But in Nightmare on Elm Street, um, normally in a horror film, especially then you would have the main character uh, there, and then you would have the best friend. Um, I feel like I'm going to get into some spoiler territory, so I better back off a little bit. But there's, let's just uh, hold off that thought. I'll continue it once we get into spoilers, but. Uh, there are some uh, changes to uh, the main uh, formula that make it a more compelling horror film.
1: There you go. So with the film's innovative techniques, uh, you know, going from dream reality to the actual reality and having them combined, uh, and even some of the actual shots of, up on the ceiling and all around the walls. There was a pretty cool way they did that. Like, uh, I think the impact that that those special effects had, those practical effects had, really paved the way for a lot of filmmaking into the future, don't you think?
0: Oh, absolutely. Even the simple one of Nancy laying in her bed and then Freddie coming through the wall... Um, not like breaking through the wall, like he's like stretching the wall like it's uh, latex or something. Um, and so that's pretty much how they did it. They put, they removed the wall and then put this uh, uh, stretchy uh, cloth across it. And then he was able to like poke through. And so there's just like all these really cool ways that they were able to like dig into these nightmare scenarios. Uh, for instance, you know. N- Uh, Nancy being in the tub and then Freddie's glove coming through and then her looking like she's in this really deep, like train spotting type of bathtub and the way that they just were able to achieve those is really remarkable. I mean, there's like some things like Freddie's arms that may have benefited from the age of CGI, but for the most part, um, This film uh, really paved the way, as you said, for other horror films to dig deeper into their creativity for uh, nightmarish scenarios.
1: No, they did. And, like, that was very uh, synonymous with all of the nightmare movies going forward. Like, there's if you go to YouTube and type out, like, cool Freddy kills, like, there is all sorts of different ways he's, like, creeped up on somebody or killed somebody, and they're all excellent. Uh, and I just think they've done a really good job throughout the years in each film. And in this first one, it's just kind of, you know, even when he cuts off his fingers and he just, like, they grow back instantly, like, I keep on ticking, you know? It's just it's, just really, it's really cool how they do it, and I think it's just super cool how... uh Wes Craven was able to see and the filmmakers and visual effects artists were like, yeah, we'll make this happen. And just, it was just perfect.
0: I wonder what it was like if I was the age that I am now back in the eighties watching that for the first time. And because, you know, we watch it now and we see those effects and there's a charm to it. There's an eighties charm to seeing him cut off his fingers. And then, you know, if you're stepping outside of, just having that pure nostalgic love for 80s horror, he could be like, oh, that doesn't look that good. Or like even uh, an ending moment that involves the character being pulled through a window. You can tell it's a dummy. Um, So there's all these things about it. But when I watch it, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Same thing with like The Mandalorian, watching that and then seeing like practical makeup and stuff like that. And you'd be like, oh, well, maybe his mouth isn't matching Nick Nolte's voice, but it still looks so cool that it's trying to be a part of that world, and that's what's cool about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, is that it's always, you know, been uh, there before, like, CGI came out, that it was able to just have this universe be consistent, I would say. Um, and, I don't know, I'd be interested to see, like, where it would go if Freddie, or I mean, uh, Robert Englund is a comes back, and then they do a a remake and see like a reboot or like a sequel, whatever, and just see like how that would change. But do you think that your feelings towards it would be any different if you were your age now watching it back when it came out?
1: Uh, I mean, I feel like I'd be more skeptical and not enjoy it as much, I guess, just because I'm older and I'm looking for different things. instead of like a wide eyed child, like this is awesome and having more of a vivid imagination and trying to see like all the technical Details of it, mm-hmm. I guess, at least for the first time. So, I'm glad I saw this when I was younger. Yeah,
0: yeah, it found me at the right time in uh existence.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, well, let's talk about the star of the whole franchise, Robert England, for a little bit. Uh, the, the man uh, behind the mask, so to speak. Uh, this dude is just so, Robert England. You never know. The dude was born in 1947, so he's an old man now. He is 72 years old, and I hate thinking of that uh, because he's so great. And he went to school at California State University in uh, Northridge Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Like, the dude is a dramatic uh Shakespearean actor. He's
0: like Tony Todd.
1: Yeah, right. Like the dude, just, just crazy. And you know what? Interestingly enough, Robert England was considered for the part of Han Solo in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, he went up for it. Yeah, it's and he was cuz he was I would be- love
0: to see that audition tape.
1: I know, right? Uh and he told his good friend who's like Mark Hamill. Names, Mark Hamill to go uh, audition for Luke Skywalker and let look at that. Look what happened. Uh, Star was born. Star uh-huh. was born and it's arguable who is the better character, Luke Skywalker or Freddy Krueger. A lot of people would probably say Freddy Krueger.
0: Yeah, well, he's had more stuff.
1: Yes, yes, he went went on to do a, Mark,
0: a lot Mark Hamill has had a great career doing voices.
1: Yes that that is very true. And you know for being in the dramatic and shakespearean side Robert England found his niche in horror because he's been in a ton of horror movies. Uh a lot of them actually pretty good and he's like still doing stuff uh to this day um TV shows and movies but there's something that Robert England brought to this character and it's a little bit evident in the first two films, but it really takes its shape in the third movie. Uh, And it's like how Freddy is so diabolical and horrible and evil. However, he has this charm about him that you actually like the guy and actually root for him. His jokes are good. Yeah, no, got great one-liners, but you actually like root for him uh, in most instances. Especially by Freddy versus Jason. Right? Yeah, because, well, I mean... Pretty much everybody, uh, all the characters in that movie are so terrible that she's like, please just go for it. And even yeah. in Freddy vs. Jason, Freddy is the bad guy in the movie. Not like, l- not Jason really, <laughs> but Freddy is great in that movie. Uh, but he's, there's something that Robert England brought to that character that you like almost equally love him and hate him at the same time. And I, it's it's wonderful. And even like the body language and how he's like kind of agile and like he's easy to punch and knock down, but he always gets back up. I, there's something he brought to that. What do you think it is?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think you've said it uh, pretty well there, but the, he's just a, such a mysterious and engaging character because of exactly that, his body language, the way that he carries himself These probably, like, minor details um, in the way that Tony Todd brought to Candyman because he's very intellectual type, very smart, and he brought all these, like, this deep backstory to him. And even though we don't get, like, the full backstory of Freddy until a a movie later, but um, we get uh, enough to be, like... In comparison to the other ones, just as you said, like you know, as as he goes on, becomes a more evolved character, and then you can you root for him, and he's funny. That in this in this one, he still has those funny lines, but it's like it, it's presented in this way where it feels like, <clears throat> am I supposed to laugh at this? It's weird that the movie has this particular tone, and <clears throat> has characters that you care about, um, but yet. You it's kind of like watching the movie Warrior. You're like I don't know Tom Hardy or Joel Edgerton. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he I, I, he he just brought something to it um, that is pretty remarkable, especially as the films go on. But uh, I, I I find him pretty scary, especially in the second one.
1: Yeah, no, um, he's, I think he's his most diabolical in the second one. But yeah, he yeah, he's great but, throughout, and Robert England just plays it perfectly. And they try to, they try to remake it a few years ago with um, Jackie Earl, Earl Haley. Yes, uh, and I love that actor, but it doesn't know justice. It can only be Robert. Jackie Eagle. Earl
0: Haley went out for the part that Johnny Depp plays back in '84. Right. Uh, yeah, Johnny Depp went there to support him, but Johnny Depp got the part.
1: Right, right, right. So yeah, so yes, Johnny Depp's first feature film is Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh... You know, who would have known, knowing what we know now, like Johnny Depp's crazy career uh, in movies. You know, he started as like, you know, like the normal uh, kind of pale, not pale, but just like wet noodle of a character. Like there's there's nothing to him. You know, he's just he's just there like he's not like a punk rocker. He's not he's not anything, he's just kind of there. And it's really weird to see like him like play all he became like a character actor, basically. But it was all that was his first feature film and it was kind of cool to see that. Uh, and then of course, you know, you have John Saxon, who was already really popular at the time, Heather Langenkamp, who did a few movies, but now she's a huge um, visual effects uh, person. Like she does a lot of visual effects for movies and TV, which is pretty cool. Um, Although
0: I have to say that she's a terrible actress in both of the Nightmare on Elm Street films.
1: I guess, I mean, it just, if you go back and look at it, she kind of plays like that teenage, teenage girl that... What are you eating? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my throat was dry, so I put a starburst in. It's oh, going. Man, I wish I had some. Yeah, but but, but yeah, Heather Langenkamp. Uh, she, uh, I, I just feel like her character, even though like the performances weren't that great, because I don't think any performance was really that good in Nightmare on Elm Street minus uh, Freddie. And with Heather Langenkamp, I just Tina I just, was pretty good though. The, who was Tina? Oh yeah, Tina. Yes. Uh, I, I just look at her as like she was this young teenage girl who is all this is happening to and she just didn't have much of a personality much like Johnny Depp in the movie and I guess I, that that was t- that's how it was to me I think they just took something kind of like wholesome and pure like Heather and contrasted her with uh, Freddie something so evil so I think that's Why it is that way. But yes, I think she's not the best actress, which is why she probably went into the visual effects thing, which is super cool. I like that aspect about it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, Johnny Depp. Oh, my goodness. That dude. Okay, so with the cast. So, Preston, there's so many good scenes in this movie. Give me two of the best scenes, in your opinion, in Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: I mean, obviously, there's the one where Tina dies. So at this point, we are in spoilers, so we can just have fun. Um, And you've probably already seen this movie. And everybody's talked about this movie to death, so we're just having fun here. Um, Yeah, when Tina dies, uh, because there's no score playing, and it's just her screaming, and it's so horrific. And then Rod's there, her boyfriend, after uh, going to Pound Town with her. Um, Pound Town? Pound Town. I got
1: to use this.
0: Yeah, I got that from some guy when I used to shoot weddings. Um, sometimes you'd have like these frat bros who get married and they uh, say like very stupid stuff right before they, during their send off. And some guy was just like, all right, see y'all later. I'm going to Pound Town. And so that stuck. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, he, her and her boyfriend and her her boyfriend uh they they apparently had some sort of fight and they're making up and then they had sex and then uh but tina as we've learned has been having quite a few nightmares and this is her last one um and so we see like this invisible man perspective uh from rod who's seeing tina get sliced up thrown to the ceiling and then blood just flows everywhere um so there's that one um the other one is when johnny depp dies
1: um and i
0: and i do like the i like the other ones you know i like uh the the glove popping up in a jaws kind of way in the bathtub and stuff like that but I, i just the the image of johnny depp just being sucked into the bed where you know people would hide on top of their bed and then be like scared of what's underneath. But this one you're fucked both ways. And so this one, him being sucked into the bed and then just all his blood in his body and more, uh, just floats straight up to the ceiling and they, you know, shot upside down, uh, reverse, whatever they did. Um, very well done. And then the mom popping in and just seeing that and being just completely like, what the fuck, um, is, uh, Pretty astonishing.
1: There you go. I'd have to say my if I had to pick two scenes uh, other than the ones Preston chose, I would have to do. I, I think like the goat thing scares me for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, when the cadaver at the school and her legs are lifted up and dragged off with nobody there, mm-hmm. that scene is so good and so well shot. I love it so much. And then the really ridiculous. Over the top, horrible, funny as hell ending to the movie, <laughs> where because it's so ridiculous, uh, where everything seems okay, everybody survived. Nancy is going out to uh, to school, and the car comes up uh, with all of the people who were dead in the film in a convertible, and then the top, with of the sweater top, yeah, that's the convertible comes over the top and it's Freddie's sweater and then her mother Nancy's mother is waving by and then just a split second in a uh, different shot of this mannequin that looks like her is pulled violently through the front door window (laughs) <laughs> it's so funny. And then, like, it credits it's like, it's and it's like cut uh, to black. Anchorman
0: when they punt the puppy, Jack Black pumps the puppy off the bridge.
1: <laughs> yes, it's so unexpected, but hilarious. Who punts Baxter? <laughs> well, this is happening, Chief. Uh, and I, I just love that because it's just like, oh, shit, that just happened. And it's so. And you look at it now and you're just like, oh, man, that just looks so bad, but it was like effective. You know it's happening. There's going to be a sequel. So I like those uh, for the most part.
0: It's always, like, these movies all pretty much have, like, very strange endings, like the second one, too. Like, you you have your beginning, middle, and end, and then it ends, but then there has to be the stinger on the end yeah, even that like, brings f- it back into that, uh, uh, well, you never get away scot-free.
1: Right, yeah, he's always coming back, even if it's, like, Freddy's reflection in a pond or... Or
0: Freddy versus Jason with the wink.
1: Yeah, the wink. There's always something that tells he's coming back, which I like. Uh, so... Being this movie, there's a ton of uh, behind the scenes stuff that uh, happened in the movie uh, because this wasn't Wes Craven's first film uh, at all. But there's a lot of really fun things that happened uh, behind the scenes in this movie, and even more so, like one of the cool things, like Sam Raimi and Wes Craven had like a friendship. Very subtle that they put in their movies. So like in Nightmare on Elm Street, one of the characters is watching Evil Dead. In Evil Dead 2, in like the chainsaw room, there's Freddy Krueger's glove hanging up on the wall. Like It's just kind of cool stuff like that, I thought. Is there anything hmm. uh, behind-the-scenes stuff you want to talk about?
0: Uh, there's some quick ones, I guess. Uh, New Line Cinema uh, was about to go Bankrupt, and so they uh, put this movie out, and it saved it. Uh, yep. At the time, it was yeah. It it was nicknamed the house that Freddie built. Yep. Um. Uh, what else? Uh, I know they used a shit ton of blood, especially for that scene that I described with Johnny Depp's death. I th- they've used over like 500 gallons of blood. Um yep. Yeah. But I guess it too still has that title now. I mean, we talked
1: about the we talked about the Jackie Earl Haley, but uh-huh. Heather so Preston said earlier Heather Landkamp was not a great actress, but she beat actresses for the role, including Jennifer Gray from Dirty Dancing, Demi Moore, Courtney Cox <laughs> for the role of Nancy, which is crazy. And Claudia Wells, too. Yeah, no, it's uh it's it's pretty pretty cool to to hear that. Um to 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 hear that for sure. Um And the the actual the words Elm Street are never spoken in the movie at all, at least the first film. Mm. Which, if you think about that, it's pretty interesting, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. (laughs) Um, I when I talked about um, the Hills Have Eyes Part Two, uh, Wes Craven was writing this at the same time, or I believe it was done, and he just needed that. A little bit of cash to get that going, but it's just funny how you watch that movie and it's a total disaster, just so bad, and you could tell that he just like winged it in hopes that something successful would come uh, uh, happen out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this, yeah, he was developing this at the same time, and yeah, you know, you know when I, I talk about Heather Lamp, uh her performance not being that great. I feel like the writing of just like the craft of the characters themselves or like the, how he crafted those characters is what helps. It's what saves the, their performance in a way because they have such a richness to them um, on paper that, you know, even though Heather can't have that deliver a dramatic scene in the way, because it's a very ambitious movie to have all these like outside of just the, 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 nightmare stuff but just dramatically speaking of the the pain of the parents themselves like the parents sins of their you know their past of like holding all this back and then uh just you know what we pass on to our children and things like that just like and then uh, i guess i could elaborate more on uh what i was talking about earlier hinting at um before we got into spoiler territory was that you know tina um, You know, normally uh, the best friend character would be the one who um, is the, the supporting person that the main character is trying to convince them that there's something going on. But in this one, it's completely reversed that the supporting character, you know, dies first. And that's what gets, you know, is the domino effect of the rest of the film. Um, so just the fact that Wes Craven was deep enough to deconstruct the genre in a way, turn it inside out, play around with the formula in such a way while, you know, bringing all these nightmarish elements to it that make it more of a fascinating, uh, film, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy that he was able to stack that in such a way, especially after coming off of, uh, the Hills Have Eyes part two, but, uh, I guess uh, filmmakers, even though they can make a bad movie, they probably have a good one up their sleeve.
1: No, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, and uh, just one more little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Ralph Macchio was considered for the part of Rod in the movie, <laughs> which is just super funny to me. And Charlie Sheen was interested in the role of Glenn, which, but it went to... Uh, um, went to Johnny Depp, so
0: it just I think f- even Pony Boy, C. Thomas Howell,
1: yes, too. Um, yeah, he
0: he'd probably be a pretty good one.
1: It was super cool, uh, but yeah, that's you know Nightmare on Elm Street. We want you to see it. You can buy it, uh, Blu-ray, DVD. It's not on 4K yet. Hopefully soon uh yes this movie gets my highest recommendation for sure nightmare on elm street the highest recommendation must own must watch uh it's still great it still holds up in pretty much all fat forms and fashions um so yeah definitely Pressing, what do you think
0: yeah absolutely it's it's uh it's one of my it's my favorite horror franchise um i have this poster hanging up in my house so that's a big deal
1: yeah i have i have an original nightmare on elm Street poster hanging up framed in my place so it is uh it, we're we're both there together sir <laughs> Um I'm I am a fan and we're uh,
0: Brothers of the Glove.
1: We're Brothers of the Glove and we're Boyfriends of the Glove too. We'll save that for part 2. Watch we already did part 2. <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. We are my bloody podcast that concludes this episode this week. Uh we will come back next week for, for more holiday horror stuff. Um we uh are on Uh, Boomstick Comics We are on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes And Stitcher Radio You can find me at High Def Digest and Boomstick Comics Amongst other places Brian Kluger on YouTube And you can find me on Reddit of course everywhere And then of course Preston All over the adult websites Right? Yeah,
0: apparently in restricted sections too Because now the Denton Record Chronicle Has a paywall up so save all your clicks for me because you only get three free ones on dittonrc.com if you were to read any of my reviews or uh, Blu-ray reviews, interview articles. Uh, it's a bit of a bummer that, you know, that's where local news is going. Uh, Got to support local news, man. Um, so I'm going to have to... Start double posting stuff on FreshFiction.tv where I'm the features editor. Uh, mainly, I just like control, have the controls, and I don't put so much of my own content up there. But I'll be doing that more often now.
1: Well, very good, man. Find us. We'll be back next week. My bloody podcast. Say it three times, and we'll enter your house. Uh, we love you, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, Preston.
0: Thank you.